0: Good morning. Fourth week of Advent, we're in this sermon series called Behold, and um, as you just heard from the, the, the voice on the video, to behold, that's a loaded word, behold. It has deep and rich meaning to, to not gloss over things, to take in, to consider, to think about, to try to better understand, to behold. And we started the series a few weeks ago with Beholding Christmas Light. Two weeks ago, we understood Beholding Christmas Signs. Last week it was beholding Christmas time, and today we'll behold the Christmas promises. In other words, we'll unpack or behold some of the prophecies that in detail, came true. We're fulfilled in our Messiah, Jesus. Our text for today is an uncommon scripture for this time of year. It's not an Advent scripture or a Christmas scripture. It is uh, pulled from the story of Jesus and the woman at the well. Do you remember the great exchange? Oh, it's so wonderful, the back and forth. And then comes a point in the conversation between Jesus and this woman where she speaks about prophecy foretold, and he speaks of prophecy fulfilled. It reads this way. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called the Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. So the beginning part, she, had, she was Samaritan, but she had access to the ancient scrolls. So she would have known of the promise that someone is coming that will change everything. The prophecy foretold. And then right before her, Jesus says, the one you've been waiting for is here before you. I am he. Let's pray. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Lord, these beautiful ancient lyrics are the cry of all of our hearts. It's, it's as if we're saying, send the promised one to rescue us from this crazy mess. Today, God, let us clearly see, let us clearly behold some of these promises, some of these prophecies of your son's first coming, and through them bolster our faith. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my Lord, my rock, and my redeemer. For Christ's glory we pray, and together we all say, amen. The first place I wanna stop this morning is to understand and behold the Christmas story actually begins at the fall. The the very first rebellion of humankind, Adam and Eve saying to God, no thanks, God, we can figure this out on our own. I mean, thanks for all the blessings, but we're gonna try this on our own. The first rebellion, beholding this, begins at the fall. I don't expect you to remember December 3rd. There was nothing big that happened that day. It was a Friday, except it was really windy here in Northeast Ohio, like beyond normal windy, windy. It was like 50 mile per hour wind gusts. And I was driving around and I saw these folks. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so some were on their back and some were face down in the dirt. Uh, the angel Gabriel, he was a victim too. He was uh, face down and he must've been hung up because he was blown so far away. He was w- way over there. Now, when I talk about the fall, maybe I'm not necessarily talking about this situation or maybe I am. When we rebelled against God, we were face down in the dirt, wallowing in our own sin and its consequences. When we rebelled, we didn't have the ability to pick ourselves back up like those characters in the nativity. They can't stand themselves back up. Someone needs to come and stand them up. The Christmas story begins at the fall. Adam and Eve rebel. They eat the fruit. God becomes aware and he confronts the serpent. He talks to the devil. In kind of cloaked, kind of mysterious words, but we'll spend a few minutes with that this morning, God says this, I will put enmity, say enmity. Fun word to say, hard to understand, it means hostility. I will put hostility between you, Satan, and this woman, and I will put hostility between your offspring and her offspring, her offspring will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So a little bit mysterious in language, let's look at another translation. Uh, God says, I'm declaring war between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. Hill, talking about the woman's offspring, will wound your head, and you'll wound his heel. This is called the Proto-Evangelium. The very first gospel is heard way back in Genesis 3, where a promise of, a, of the one who will crush Satan's head is coming, and that we know is Jesus our Christ? And what a strange kind of wording, uh, the bruising of the heel or the wounding of the heel. Let's talk about that. That means the evils of the world. So God is telling the serpent, you will wound the heel. You will make things hard for humanity and all the offspring of mankind, harsh words and fear and shame and lies that Satan whispers to us and deception and circumstances that cause heartache or grief, abandonment, insecurity, abuse, addiction, sickness. We know that Satan will bruise our heel, but we have won who born of a woman, born eventually from Mary's offspring, would come and crush his head. So I don't want to focus on the fact that Satan is a heel bruiser. I want to focus on the promise and behold the promise that of a woman would come one who is a Satan head crusher. The second promise to behold is that um, the Messiah would be born of a virgin. The Messiah would be born of a virgin. A specific prophecy foretold 700 years earlier in the book of Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Pastor Tim did a nice job a few weeks ago about talking about the relevance of being born of a virgin. The fact that Jesus wasn't born of an earthly father so we could say that he had no sinful DNA passed to him. His father was the Holy Spirit, was the triune God so that he could live a sinless and perfect life, and eventually that way he could grant us or give us his perfect or sinless life. A Couple other things to consider from this virgin birth is that the virgin birth is miraculous. We kinda gloss over it, it becomes so normal to us, we hear the Christmas story all the time, Jesus born of a virgin. Guys, listen, a young woman who never had sexual relations was pregnant. (laughs) This is a pretty big deal. This is a divine movement of God. It was miraculous. It's also very specific. Talk about a specific prophecy that Messiah would be born of a virgin. And this uh, specific prophecy given and then specifically fulfilled proves that it's miraculous. There's no way a specific prophecy 700 years earlier could be fulfilled that specifically without God's hand on his movement. And, And finally, it shows that Jesus is unique among everything. There's no one else like him born of a virgin. No one else has been born of a virgin. He is unique in all the universe, the God-man, Jesus, the Messiah. Well, the third prophecy or promise to behold is that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Another very specific prophecy. Jesus would be born in the city called Bethlehem, Micah, Old Testament prophet, two, five. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, everybody say Ephrathah. Aphratha, fun to say. Uh, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me, uh, for, for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are of old, from from ancient times. There's actually two Royal Redeemer Lutheran churches in Ohio. How many people know that? Uh, There's ours, and there's another one in the Dayton area, which I think is so unique because what a unique name, Royal Redeemer. That's not a very common name in any churches. And I'm assuming in the 1950s when the church fathers of this church, Royal Redeemer, formed it, they knew they were in North Royalton, so they kind of riffed off of the royal part. Let's make this church Royal Redeemer. and That's cool, and it's worked out. But there's another one in Dayton called Royal Redeemer. And from time to time, we have people come here, and they come to service at the wrong time. And they kind of give us the business and say, your website says the church service, and then we have to show them that they're at the wrong website. (laughs) They went to the wrong royal redeemer website. Mary and Joseph didn't go to the wrong Bethlehem. There's two Bethlehems. Yep, there is. There's one up north, and then there's Bethlehem Ephrathah, the one of Jesus' birth, a specific prophecy. They went to the right one, a specific place, foretold 700 years earlier, and God worked it out in his timing that the census would come and they would be forced to go there so that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Another neat thing about being born in Bethlehem is that we know it's the city of David, King David. The shepherd boy, remember, slays Goliath, grows up to be king, he's from Bethlehem. And people love comparing Jesus and David. Uh, They say that David was a great king of Israel, but Jesus was a better king of Israel. That David's victory over Goliath gave freedom to all his people, but Jesus' victory over sin gave freedom to all his people. That David was a great shepherd of sheep, but Jesus was a better shepherd of people. Both Jesus and David had many enemies. They were betrayed by close friends. And did you know that both of their betrayers eventually hung themselves? We know the story of Judas, who betrayed Jesus. He went on to hang himself. Uh, In 2 Samuel, there's a guy named Ahithophel who betrays David and eventually goes to hang himself. There are many, many other comparisons that we could make, but Jesus was born in the city of David, as prophesied as promised. The name Bethlehem is rich in meaning. Beth in Hebrew means house of, and Lachem means bread. It's a house of bread. There's lots of bakeries there. Jesus was born in the house of bread. You might know cities that are called Bethel, that's house of God, or Bethany, the house of afflictions. Jesus was born in Beth Lachem, the house of bread. This Jesus who was born in the house of bread went on to say, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes for me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This Jesus who was born in the house of bread would take bread and give thanks and break it and give it to the people saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This Jesus who was born in Bethlehem as a baby was laid in a manger. You know the story. A manger is a feeding trough. It's where you put the food for the animals. There was nowhere else to lay them, so they put them in that. How interesting that this Jesus laid in a feeding trough. That it's rich in significance because later all who would partake of him would have everlasting life. Behold the promises. Behold the prophecies. Perfectly detailed given and perfectly detailed fulfilled. Another promise to behold is that Jesus and his family would flee to Egypt. This was foretold, and this actually happened. They would flee to Egypt. Hosea 11, 1, out of Egypt I called my son. Now, the reason Jesus and his family were called out of Egypt is because they had to go to Egypt. You remember the story, Herod hears from the wise men that the king of Israel has been born. And Herod kind of flips out because he thinks he's the king of Israel, and there's no way he's going to let some baby come and take his throne. So the horrible decree goes out that every boy two years and under in Bethlehem will be killed so that this king could keep his power. Well, Mary and Joseph catch wind of this terrible thing, so they flee to Egypt so Jesus wouldn't be killed, so that upon their return from Egypt, they would fulfill prophecy out of Egypt. I have called you. This terrible thing that happened that Herod did is actually foretold in Jeremiah 32. A voice is heard in Ramah mourning and great weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. This direct quote is actually brought up again in Matthew 2 when you read the Christmas story. Prophecy foretold, prophecy fulfilled. I've done a lot of work, especially in the last weeks, trying to better understand what is now called the slaughter of the innocents, this uh, Herod's decree to kill these babies, and what should we make of it? How should we think about it? We could talk about a lot of things. We won't here this morning. Simply understand that Jesus was born into an incredibly sinful world. Jesus was born into a world where babies were killed because... Maybe that sounds familiar to you today. Another prophecy fulfilled was that Messiah would bear his people's sin. A prophecy given and a prophecy perfectly perfectly fulfilled, that Messiah would bear his people's sins. Again, 700 years earlier in the book of Isaiah. By the way, some people call Isaiah the fifth gospel. Is that an interesting, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? And some people say this Old Testament prophecy is a gospel. How could an Old Testament book speak of the gospel, speak of the goodness of Jesus? Well, we believe it's right here in the 53rd chapter. Surely he took up our pain, he bore up our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. Read this last sentence out loud with me. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's why God, that's why Jesus came to bear our iniquity, to take our sin, not to give information or explain everything to us like the woman at the well thought at the beginning of our sermon. She thought that's what Messiah would do. He'll just tell us important stuff. Not to bring about political reform as some of his disciples thought, not to bring economic prosperity, perhaps like Levi or Zacchaeus thought, not to bring us an easy or prosperous or comfortable life as many of us think, Jesus didn't come to bring a prosperous life or a comfortable life or an easy life, as some of us think. He came to lift the guilty weight of sin and its consequences and its rightful punishment off of us so that he could bear that burden himself. Jesus came to be a sin lifter. Jesus came to be a sin transferer off of us and onto himself so that you are now free from paying the punishment that your sin has bought for you the isaiah prophecy foretold this in detail 700 years earlier and now friends our assurance is this this promise is for you and me that if we repent of our sins if we confess them if you believe that you're a sinner and lost without jesus if you believe that he is the son of god who died on a cross and rose three days later your sins are forgiven And now we have promises to live in and under. We talked about the promises given that were fulfilled. What about promises for us? Yeah, there's plenty. This isn't an exhaustive list, but it's the stuff we can cover in the time we have. First of all, we're given the promise of peace. We can have peace. Behold this promise of peace. John 14, 27, Jesus gives it. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give it as the world gives it. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. This is speaking about a soul peace. This isn't necessarily talking about a lack of war, although Jesus does that too, but this is an inward peace. This is an assurance that you don't need to be concerned about the things of the world, that even in the midst of trouble, God is with you. God is taking care of you. He knows everything you need. He cares more about you than you care for yourself. It's no coincidence that in the Jesus' birth narrative in Luke 2, the angels show up and they proclaim glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Another promise that we can enjoy, that we can behold is purpose. You have a purpose. The Bible says so, Proverbs 19, 21. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. You can have your own plans, but God has a purpose for you. Um, There's a a pastor that I listen to, Brian Wolfmuller, pastor in Austin, Texas, a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod guy, pretty sharp guy. He has a podcast, and, and one of his sentences really caught my ear this week. He said, I am no longer trapped. I'm not enslaved into creating my own meaning and purpose. What an interesting take. See, our world says it's the opposite. Create your own purpose. Come up with who you are. Um, Find it within yourself. Live your best life now or all these other types of things. Pastor Wolfmuller says it right. He says, that's a trap. That's enslavement. Can you imagine what it really means to have the burden of trying to come up with what your purpose is? Hmm. Sit under a tree for a while and decide what my purpose is. No. We have the beautiful promise from the Lord. He has a purpose for you. It's a promise to behold uh, the next is related to purpose, I suppose. It's identity. Again, we don't come up with who we are. God claims us. You have the promise of identity. I think it's so important in this time, especially of social media and the effect that that has on our identity that we understand this. You are not the latest, coolest tweet. You are not what people think about you in response to your latest post. You're not what TikTok says about you. You are a child of God. Ephesians one five he, God, predestined us for adoption to sonship, daughtership. We are children of God through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. Remember Luke 15, the prodigal son, he demands all the money that his father would give him upon his death. He goes and squanders it with sinful living. Now he's starving. He has no money. He comes up with a plan. I'll go back to my rich father, and I won't beg to be back in the household. Just hire me as a hired hand. I'll work in the field. You can pay me a salary, so at least I'll have enough money to to eat. So he's walking back to the house the father sees him runs out to him the son begins to explain this plan father don't bring me in the house just let me work in the f-. and the father stops him and says you have misidentified yourself. Do you think you're a servant? No. You are my son. And he gave him a ring and a robe and sandals and he gave him a party because the son was back. Friends that's you and me. We have an identity. Christ bought us back, and we come up with this plan. I'll work for you, God. I'll earn my way. No. You've misidentified yourself. You're not earning your way into my household. You already belong. You're a child of God. And because we are children, we now have an inheritance. The story gets even better, as any child would have an inheritance from their heavenly father next is this promise of wisdom. How is it that we should think in a world that's upside down, in a world that's crazy? God gives us the promise. Behold the promise of wisdom. Proverbs 2:6, "For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth comes knowledge and understanding. As followers of Christ, we have access to this wisdom. God tells us that good is better than evil. He tells us to choose life and not death. He teaches us wisdom like what you plant is what you will reap. If you plant bad things, you will reap bad things. If you plant good things, you will reap good things. Behold the promise of biblical wisdom. That's where we find it in his word. We say it around here a lot because it's that important. Read his word. Read it often, read big chunks of it, take notes. Write down things you don't understand. Ask questions. Look things up. Read it in a different translation. Read it out loud. Read it while you're walking. Think about it during the day. Get God's word into your life. That's where we find the story of redemption from Christ, and we find biblical wisdom. And finally, a clear path. This is related to wisdom and identity. God shows us which decisions to make, how to make wise decisions, not specifically. Should I buy this car or that car? God doesn't speak to that, but he shows us wisdom. He gives us clarity. He gives us that promise. Psalm 8611, teach me your way, O Lord, that I might walk in your truth. This idea of walking in truth, this is path language. It gives us a clear path. Submit to God and his ways, and your path will be laid out for you. One of the ways you can get encouragement, you can be encouraged by brothers and sisters on walking a path, is by joining a small group. We've been gently promoting that during Advent. Um, I'm the pastor in charge of that. Let's get you in a small group. Lots of you already are. Great. You can speak of the great encouragement and love you feel in that group, the, the biblical discussions you have. Um, get into a small group, form a new one. Maybe God's calling you to be a facilitator, one of the leaders. I'd love to talk to you about that. Contact me during the week. Send me an email, give me a call. Let's talk about getting you plugged into a small group. Well, we wrap up to today as we usually do with next steps. And I'm not crazy about the word appreciate, but maybe I should have used the word behold. since we're in the, But really think about it. Don't just gloss over the fact that the proofs of these prophecies coming true This is clear and solid evidence that it is from God. There's no way that these detailed prophecies, a few that we touched on, there are many, many more, actually were fulfilled. This is divine. This is from God. Number two, in this season of waiting, this Advent season, anticipation, preparation, pull out a Bible. Bring it up on your app. Re- read the Christmas story, basically found in, in two areas, in Luke 2 and in Matthew 1 and 2. You will read through it and go, oh, yeah, I recognize these words. I hear them in church on Christmas. That's where they are. Read the entire story. it take, take you 10, 15 minutes. And finally, contemplate. Really think about, behold, and enjoy the calmness of heart that our Prince of Peace brings. Let's pray. Oh, Prince of Peace, thank you for coming. Father, first person of the triune God, um, thank you that prophecy was given to the prophets and they wrote them on scrolls and the Hebrews and the ancient people uh, thought about them and what can this mean and Messiah will come and could it be, can it be this detailed? Certainly it can't be and it was and Jesus born of a virgin in Bethlehem is our Messiah, the changer of all things, the, the lifter of sin and guilt and its punishment. Thank you for that. Let every heart here tonight know that if their people are hearing new things for the first time, they're investigating Jesus, let them find you. Lord, grab them, pull them into your kingdom by your Holy Spirit. Let us love them and be a congregation that surrounds them and supports them. All to your glory, Lord, we pray, and together we all say, amen.